Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So I want to I take you back to a question that you might have heard when you're a little kid. Now, maybe a parent said it to you, maybe a family friend said it to you, but it's that question where someone inevitably leant down to you and said, so what do you want to do when you grow up? Anyone ever have that question? You know, maybe it was a family friend or mum or dad or, or a soccer coach or something like that. And, and if you noticed when you have grown up, if, if you have grown up, uh, have you noticed that when we, when we grow up, there seems to be this ever-increasing ever expectation gap between what our answer was to that question all the way back then and to what it ends up being? Have you noticed that? Uh, most, most people when asked that question, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a princess. And then, then we grow up and then we, we realise that we start spending, some say, up to one third of our life in this thing that we call a career, in work. And some of you are right in the middle of it as we speak. Others of you, we envy you, you're on the other side of it. You're in that wonderful phase of life we can only dream of called retirement. <laughs> But either way, isn't it crazy that we've been given this amazing gift of life and one third of it is spent working, which is pretty good reason as to why we're going to talk about work for the next five weeks or so. And why I think also it's important that we talk about it is that uh, the uh, Gallup, you know, the, the research agency Gallup, Gallup did some research on uh, this thing called job satisfaction. How satisfied are we in the job? And, and Gallup found that 80% of people that work are dissatisfied with what they do. Which is a crazy thought when you think about it, that, that 80% of people that are going to spend one third over 10,000 hours of their life working don't even like doing what they're doing. And my question is, today, are we okay with that? Are we okay with that, um, personally? And more importantly, is our Heavenly Father okay with that? You know, you know how the Bible says that, that God is like a father that wants good things for his children. Like, do you think God would look down upon you if you're in that space this morning and go, are you okay with that? Would he be okay with that? Now, before I pause, pause the message, before I lose about 30% of you, normally over in this region of the auditorium over here, um, I don't want you folk over up here too, the B-52s, to make a silly mistake, okay? This is, just, this, is for the, this is the hallowed ground, the retirees up here. Most of them sit up in that corner of the auditorium. But I don't want, I don't want you to make the mistake if you're on that other side of the one-third. I, I don't want you to make this mistake where, the, where the, you think when I talk about work that I mean that work is your job. Or that another way around, that, that your job is your work. I don't want you to make that mistake because that's what so many people fall into. And what it means is when, when we realise that, that we don't, that we, that we confuse this nature of work and we confuse the de definition, then we fall into all sorts of different traps. And what it means this morning when it comes to work, if you make this mistake, you need to understand this. If you were once a professional and you now find yourself a working mum with three little kids or four little kids or two little kids, there's work for you to do. There's noble work for you to do. What it means that if you're in between jobs or you've found yourself unemployed, there's still work for you to do. Your work is not your job. Most importantly, if you're a retiree, there is still work for you to do. Just ask David Hunter and David Solomon. I think between those two guys themselves, they spend more hours in this church than half of the ministry team. 
So there is definitely still work for you to be done around this place if you're a retiree. But your work does not equal your job. And when we make the mistake and we confuse the two, then it thrusts us down into a very low view of work. It's not God's view of work. We'll see that soon. But it thrusts us into a low view of work. The sort of low view of work that I call like a, we sort of view work as a a professional purgatory. Now you reckon like a, a professional prison where as a result, you know, you've got to, you get entered into, you're booked into prison on Monday or Sunday night, depends on how hard you work, and you sort of sit there right through the week until Friday the doors open again and you get to go out and it's the weekend. And that's why it's, it's given rise to the acronym TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Right, okay. You know, even we've discovered in America, they've even created a restaurant called Thank God It's Friday. Yeah, that's how big it is. Or if you're from another generation, you know, there was a great, great song written once that went, everybody's working for the... Okay, there we go. See, you know. <laughs> we sort of, we live in this, this professional purgatory, this prison where we think because we've got this low view of work that we somehow can't escape it. And as a result, it creates this dynamic that's going to sweep this nation. It does it every week. There's a dynamic that sweeps this nation and, and it happens this afternoon. I, I call it 4.30 Sunday-itis, all right? And you'll get triggered by this. It normally triggers you if you're the organised type by the creak of the ironing board at 4.30 on a Sunday afternoon as you start to press your skirts or, or your suits or your shirts or whatever you've got to do. And so around this nation, millions of people will start to descend into mild levels of anxiety and even depression because of this low view of work. <laughs> 4.30 Sunday others. Have you suffered from it? Yeah. Uh, we are on a mission in the next five weeks to eradicate 4.30 Sunday others. Are you with me? We're on a mission to eradicate 4.30 Sunday others because if you're the sort of person that is creaking open the, the ironing board and thinking, I can't enter that prison, that professional purgatory that's called work one more time. If you're that sort of person, then I want you to see that first and foremost, your job is not your work. There's a work beyond the job. And so we're going to look at things this morning, God's plan for work. And then we're going to look at the problems of work. And then we're going to look at the different perspectives on work and then how those perspectives change your practice of work. And then finally, how that, that, pra- that practice through new perspective can lead to a freedom and a purpose in your work that you may never have discovered. The end of 4.30 sunday Itis. <laughs> and so, look, here's all I want to do today. I want us all to grasp this, this simple thing today. If you can walk away with this, you're going to have the foundation for the next five weeks. It's as simple as this. You need to understand today that work is important to God and God is important to work. Work is important to God and God is important to work. And you might think here, well, you know, this is not the sort of place to be talking about work. I need to go to a career counsellor. But it would surprise you that um, God's the one that invented work. And when you read through the scriptures, we see that this morning in Genesis chapter 2. Have a look at what it says here. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his, say it church, work. And blessed God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done now there is something startling here that is was radically different throughout history 
There's, some, there's something startling in here. And particularly if you read through to verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2, I'll read it for you. There's something startling here. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Have you, have you picked up on this? You know what's crazy about this? Work is a part of paradise. <laughs> some of you like, you're like, that's the worst news I've heard ever. <laughs> Works a part of paradise. We, we turn to the very beginning of the Bible, which, by the way, if we could just put aside the whole, or is it evolution, creation, all that sort of stuff, just look at the pattern that we see here in Genesis. Look at the principles. What's the principle that we see here in Genesis outside evolution and creation and the rest of it? What do we see? Unlike every other God in history, we see a God rolling up his sleeves and we see a God who works. And this was radically different from how a whole range of other religions and schools of thought thought at the time. In fact, one of the biggest schools of thought were the Greek, the Greek gods that we've all heard about. And, and Tim Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavour, which is in the Pillinger Library, if you want to read that, that is a great book that's going to supplement this series. But Keller says here that the ancient poet Hesiod writes that in the golden age, the pantheon of Greek gods and humanity lived together in harmony. And what's more, neither the gods nor humans did any work. <laughs> to which some of you are going, hey, I'm up for the Greek view. I like, I like that view. <laughs> but can you see how like this, is, is it possible that this, this Greek view, and there's a lot of Greek influence throughout the scriptures, couldn't, can't you see that this is probably the, the most prevailing influence on our view of work in society today? This is, this is the reason behind this professional purgatory that we seem to have with work, that we think, well, you know, work's something that God just entered into the creation to punish us with. <laughs> but when we see it before the fall, Genesis chapter 2, if you know your Bible, the fall hasn't happened yet. If work is in paradise, then it must mean something more than that. It must mean that work is important to God. Work is important to God. Work is vitally important to God. And look at the way that... Look at the way that, that we see here the, the pattern of the scriptures there. You know, if you keep reading through Genesis and, and see the patterns here, you, you'll see this emerge. I won't make you read Genesis. That's why you pay me to do the summarizing as your pastor. So I'll summarize it for you. But Genesis 1, you know, God is a worker. Genesis 1, verse 26, God makes us in his image. Genesis chapter 2, God puts humans in his garden to work. And so let's pause a bit on this image of God as a gardener for a second. You know, what do gardeners do? You know, gardeners dream of what the, what the garden beds will eventually look like and then gardeners cultivate and they tend and they invest and they water and they sow and then ultimately they flourish. And so can you see the picture that we have here in Genesis that not only is work in the garden, but God invites us in this great mystery that, of who he is, he invites us into the act of cultivating and co-creating. What a wonderful gift. Work is not some punishment, but work is an invitation in the biblical sense to co-create with God. How many of you will turn up tomorrow morning to work thinking of that? What a noble view of work. Wow, fantastic. I'm a co-creator with God. Who's thinking like that tomorrow morning? Hopefully by the time I'm done, you should. <laughs> what, a, what a noble view of work. Remember, work's not your job. Retirees, put the book down. You need, you need to listen. <laughs> work, you've got work to do as well. And we're going to get to that. 
But here, let's, let's work out a definition of work then in this sense, if it's cultivating and it's gardening and all that analogy. Here's a definition for work. What if, what if work is taking raw materials and flourishing them, rearranging them for the purpose of flourishing God's creation? You see, that, that, you don't have to be a professional to do that. You don't have to be in the workforce to do that. You don't have to be in the CBD to do that. Mums, can I say to you, that is perhaps one of the most noble and one of the most amazing things, mums and dads, that you can do. I've got, th- I've got three big chunks of raw material <laughs> called Zach, Adele and Chelsea and there is no greater gift than to steward them and to cultivate them and to sow seeds and to talk to them at the primary school and tell them what it means to get elected and to flourish them for God's purposes. Friends, family, grandkids, co-workers. There are raw materials around you every single day that God is calling you. Calling you, by the way, because that word vocation, the Latin word for vocation is vocare, which means to call. He's calling you into a process of co-cultivating the raw materials that he has given you. Who sets their Monday morning up like that? Now, if you, if, you, if, you, if you get this, it, it, should, it should radically change you. And here's the litmus test. Uh, let, let's, let's do a case study together. Imagine that, imagine that tomorrow you win the lottery. You win 35 million bucks and you put that in perpetuity and, and you, get, you, know, you just get a, 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 a one and a half million dollars a year as your annual sal- salary in perpetuity, which is, which is good because that's like the average salary that you need to earn in Sydney these days to feel comfortable. You know, if you, imagine you get a one and a half million bucks in perpetuity. Question for you, would, would you go on a vacation or vocation? If you, if you didn't have to worry about working in order to do the things that you really want to do, because that often is our definition of work, right? The definition of work is just doing the things you don't really like doing so you can get to the things that you do like doing. <laughs> would, if, you, if you had all the money in the world, would, would you vacation or would you vocation? And can I suggest, I've already got an answer for you, because there was a couple of teachers in Maryland in the USA who won the lottery, $35 million each. Wow. And CNN had an article that describes that these three teachers who won the 35 million still stayed at work. It said each will collect about 35 million after the taxes. And Maryland lottery director Stephen Martino said they plan to buy new homes, travel to Europe, help their, their own children pay for college, but they couldn't stand to leave their schools. They were so clearly committed to their kids, he said of the teachers. They both said, yep, I can't give up my kids. Would you vocation or would you vacation? And dare I say that the reason why these people did this is because work, if it's part of God's creation and work is in paradise, then work also is as fundamental to your flourishing, to the flourishing of your soul, as is air, as is water, as is the Spirit of God. That we're designed for work. And haven't you seen that? Haven't you seen the way that it crushes people when they're suddenly made redundant or unemployed or they lose the purposeness from not having work? Many of us think it's a dream if you could just have three to four weeks off. 
But for some people, I've seen this as a pastor, it crushes them because God has created us to work with him in that co-creation. Work is important to God. Now, some of you probably already think, I should have addressed this earlier. You're probably thinking, you're a pastor. What the heck do you know about work? (laughs) You're probably thinking, you don't work in the corporate world. You don't know what my boss is like. And some of you are probably thinking, well, you know, you pastors, you know, work for you guys. Is, you know, you'll just, Sam, you'll just, you'll just roll lazily out of bed tomorrow morning and read the scriptures for three to four hours. You'll mosey on into crow's nest and sip a few lattes while you talk to people from church, right? <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> you know, how, how, how could you possibly know what my workplace is like and the pressures of the corporate world and... And look, yeah, on one hand, yes, I've worked, I've worked in corporate, so I have been in that space where I've seen what it's like and I've seen what horrible bosses are like and I've, I've seen what other co-workers can do and I've seen the backstabbing and I've seen the sniping and I've seen the hours. But one of the great privileges that I have as a pastor is you're constantly seeing the helicopter view, the cross-section of every person from a young adult all the way through to a retiree and the impact that work has on our lives. You know, time and time again, you know, I I see as a pastor um, the wrestles that it is for a mum that's been a professional and suddenly got to look after kids and thinks that they've been taken out of the workforce. Uh, I've seen the wrestles of couples as they're together and they've had to work through whose career is going to take priority over one another. I've seen people who have spent their entire life building businesses only to have someone snake them out and to rip it out from underneath them and see the way that it crushes them, not just only financially but personally as they have to deal with that. I know a lot about work and what we get to see. I've seen the, the despondent ways that people can get smart people who can't find a job and the way that it begins to wreck their soul. And the underlying theme under, under, underneath all of, all of that, you know, and the, and the one piece of envy that I think sort of comes through when it comes to ministry, by the way, my, my job is no more important than anyone else's. We'll get into that in later weeks. But the one theme that I see coming from people, whether they're young adult or whether they're a retiree trying to work out what they do in work, is they're saying, Sam, I wish there was purpose to what I do. Sam, I I just wish I could be in ministry because yours must be the most purposeful job that you could have. And it is. That is the one blessing about ministry is it is an incredibly purpose-filled job. But that's the one thing. People say, Sam, I wish I could have purpose in what I do. And what we come to see here in the Scriptures is... Um, That is possible for you. That's absolutely possible for you. Because uh, what what we see uh, time and time throughout the scriptures is that there is a a new way of looking at work. And we see that uh, many years after Genesis, um, there was a guy who had been through multiple career transitions and he was writing to a whole bunch of people that we could relate to. You know, this, this guy, he had, um, he'd, he'd been through all sorts of jobs. He was an entrepreneur, he was a tent maker. Um, he, had a, he was one of these people, you know, where they say you have about five different jobs over your career. You've heard that line. He had about three or four different jobs. He was a tent maker. Then he was a writer and a journalist. Um, then he was also a church planter. And the guy I'm talking about is the Apostle Paul. And Paul writes to people that we can relate to, a whole bunch of people that were dealing with horrible bosses. And Paul says to them in order to give them some encouragement, he says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if you're working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you will know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And then he says, it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you are serving. 
And so not only is work important to God, but what we see from Paul and what he's going to get us to here is that not only is work important to God, but God is important to your work. In fact, it's crucial to your work. God is crucial to your work because, you know, if, if we put Paul up here as the pastor and you got to ask him questions and you asked Paul, you said, hey, Paul, I'm dealing with a career decision. I'm not sure which job I should take. What should I do? Paul would say, whatever. If you said, Paul, I'm, I'm really wrestling with the fact that I've been taken out of the corporate world and now I'm not working at the moment, what should I do? Paul would say, whatever. If, if, if you're like, well, Paul, you know, I'm, I'm not too sure as to whether I should sell the business and just have a salary job or uh, whether I should keep working for myself, Paul would say, whatever. Um, he would say whatever, not in a condescending sense, but whatever. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, because what Paul is saying is it doesn't, the most important thing, the preeminent thing, is not what you do for your work. The most important thing is who you are working for. And I think we constantly need to be reminded of that. Even in ministry life, I need to be reminded of that. You know how it goes in my family. You know, why does daddy have meetings all the time? You know, Kristen says, Zach, it's because daddy's the boss of the church. And he says, no, daddy's not the boss of the church. Jesus is the boss of the church. <laughs> Right? Jesus is the boss. Jesus is my boss. And if you're a follower of his, Jesus is your boss. It means this morning for the couple of hundred people that have heard this, no one has horrible bosses in this room. If you're a follower of Jesus, no one has a horrible boss because Paul says, whatever you do, do it as if you are working for the Lord. Whatever you do, whether you are in paid, get the paycheck type employment, do it as if you're working for the Lord. Whatever you do, if you're in retirement, do it as if you're working for the Lord. Does this make sense? Whatever you do, it's not what you do, but who you do it for that gives you the resource to move out of your week, this professional purgatory each and every Friday with a sense of purpose. And what it most importantly means is suddenly it dethrones our modern version of work. It dethrones it as the means for our success and our significance and our survival. See how powerful that is? If you, if you get this, no longer is, it, is work the means to your identity and your status and your financial freedom. Work, on the other hand, suddenly now becomes part of your mission. And that's what Paul is getting at, is that is, is he's saying really that the purpose of your life at work is to show a life where God is at work. The purpose of your life at work is to show that God is work at your life. And that means in whatever role that you might have, whether it's you feel that you've got the lowest role in the rung of the ladder in the corporate world, or most importantly, if you have been privileged to steward people and manage people, question for you is what sort of decisions do you make? How do you lead as a boss? Is there integrity? Is there compassion? Is there conviction? The purpose of your life at work is to show that God is at work in your life. And your work, as we're seeing, if work is important to God, is the means by which God has placed you, placed you into these gardens in order to flourish the people around you. And so that's, that should mean for each and every one of us, if there is anyone in this room this week who that was your story last week, yep, Sam, that was me, I lived in professional purgatory, 
I, I lived in the listlessness of not sure what I was supposed to be doing for my week. If you're that person who drove out on Friday or you're sitting on the train on Friday thinking, I'm not sure if I can face this again on Monday. If you're the sort of person that if the creak of the ironing board or the alarm clock this afternoon is going to trigger you into 4.30 Sunday-itis, can I say to you that the great promise for you is, is tomorrow morning, you don't have to wake up and face whatever workplace you go into with a lack of purpose. And it means if this is how God has created work in the garden for us to do, it really comes down to this key question first. What gardens has God placed you in in order to flourish around you? He's done it for each and every one of us. What garden has he placed you in? And what it means for us is, could it be that the mission of our church is not just all of the strategic things that we do and the programming that we do, but really the degree to which you and I live out this calling to flourish the world around us? And so all you need to be asking yourself this morning before you head out these doors is, what garden has God placed me in? And most importantly, how can I work my garden in such a way to allow the people around me to flourish physically, spiritually, psychologically? And can you see how you can answer that question, whether you're a graduate on the latest hotshot program or whether you're enjoying retirement? There is work for you to do. And so that's what we will continue to uncover, that it's tricky. The degree to which we bring God into our work and the degree to which we understand that work is important to God is the degree to which we thrive, not just survive in what we do. And yeah, we, we feel it. We feel the way that it gets tricky and it gets nasty and it gets ugly at work. And I guess part of the reasons why for that, we're going to talk about next week. <laughs> so it's a little teaser. Come back for next week. We'll talk about that then. (laughs) All I wanted you to get this morning is that work is important to God. And God is crucial to your work. And the degree to which you answer those questions is the degree to which we will not only fulfill the mission in our own lives and work with a sense of purpose tomorrow morning, first thing, but most importantly, fulfill the mission of this church. That in this wonderful, mysterious way, God is planting in gardens all around this city. Gardens that are little young families. Gardens that are friendship groups. uh, Gardens that are workplaces. Gardens that are the ivory towers of the CBD. God is sending multiple people from this place out into these gardens so that you can flourish the world around you. What a great truth that Sydney will be a little bit organically beautiful because of what we've received from him this morning let's pray father i do pray for every person who is in this place this morning that even in light of all of this is sam you don't know what i'm having to endure you don't know the results that i'm up against i'm praying for that person who just the sheer mention of this series have shot them off into just a plethora of anxieties and they've missed half the message because they're already thinking about what they have to face tomorrow. And I would pray that in these final moments of our time together for those people that are amongst us this morning, um, that the gift of this time in communing with you and perhaps by the strength of your Holy Spirit, the discipline to focus their eyes upon you, there would be renewed strength 
renewed purpose, renewed joy for them as they face this week. Father, for all of us too, would you open our eyes by the Holy Spirit, particularly now in this moment, these final moments of silence, would you bring to mind all of those gardens, those contexts, those places, those people that by your sovereign and divine hand you are ordaining a connection with in our lives? Would you bring them to mind for us now? Would you impress upon our hearts the significance and the privilege that it is to co-cultivate life with you? Sink that into our hearts, Father, I pray this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.